Good morning. It is really a joy to be with you all this morning. Um, just to be here in Cape May, New Jersey, and seeing so many familiar faces is so life-giving to our family. Um, I'm sure you guys know this, and it doesn't really need to be said, but Revolve holds a very, very special place in my wife and I, in our family's heart. Um, I remember in 2013 meeting Pastor Bill and Gina for the first time and Steve and Bonnie and just really hearing their hearts on why Revolve exists, the vision and the mission. And Bill, the discipler he is, he had really taken me under his wing at that time um, and to really disciple me and invest in me. Um, and I just remember at that time growing tremendously and really understanding what it meant to follow Christ. But as I was maturing in my faith, um, and especially here at Revolve, I really started to understand God's heart. Understanding God's heart for all people and all nations. Um, and I specifically remember, and I know many of you here have heard me say this statistic, that over three billion people in the world today have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Meaning 40% of the world will go their entire lives living and never hearing how they can have eternal life through Jesus. And I don't know if you guys know, but that, that pit you feel in your stomach, that almost like you feel sick to your stomach, that's exactly what I felt. And I remember just sitting there saying, I can't believe this. I, I don't think it's real. There's millions of churches. There's millions of believers everywhere. Um, and yet, how is the world 40% still unreached to this day? And so the point I'm trying to make is that we, my wife and I knew at some point we were going to go. We didn't know when, we didn't know where, we didn't know how, but we knew that God had really put that conviction in our hearts. And so here we are in 2022 where we just passed our first year mark of living in one of the most diverse cities in the world in Queens, New York. Um, and so much has happened this past year. Um, I feel like I couldn't even fit it all in, in 30 minutes. There's so many things that God has been teaching us, God has been showing us and speaking to us. But I think it would be wise to kind of start from somewhat of the very beginning um, to share, you know, how it kind of, what propelled us to go. And so in 2018, my wife went on a, uh, on a trip to Seed Week along with Revolve here. And I know you guys here are very familiar with Seed Week because Revolve had just sent a team about a month ago. Um, and long story short, Elena came back uh, from that trip and God had really stirred her heart. Um, and she kept on telling me, you need to experience what I, what I was able to experience. I want you to see what I was able to see. You know, the nations, we always thought we had to cross an ocean and that, you know, we had to, the unreached people groups were, you know, in some hard to reach places. But the reality is, is that God through his sovereignty has actually brought the nations only three hours up the road. Um, and so long story short, myself and the Windles a couple years later, give it up for the Windles. Um, we went to a seed week and we had a very powerful time. But I remember at the end of that seed week, we were required to write a letter to ourselves, and basically write some of the things down on what God really spoke to us, what, what were some of the challenges, um, and what was God really teaching us at that time. And I'll be honest, I didn't really write much down. 
But what I did write down was this. I said, God, I know you're calling my family to Queens, but I'm terrified to say yes. And six months later, what ends up happening is International Project mails this letter to you. And so what had happened was when we were officially moved into our new apartment in Queens, we received this letter. And so many of you here remember in April of 2021 where our family had just announced that we were going to be leaving Revolve. I would be stepping down at my position here at Revolve. We were going to be selling our home. Uh, we were going to be fundraising over the next several months. And God had a ridiculously fast timetable. Um, in two and a half months, we were fully funded, our house had sold, and by month three, we were officially moved into our new apartment. Um, and so it was very hard to keep up when all that was happening uh, because we were grieving. We were really grieving, grieving the things we had here and the family, the community. So the first 10 months of living in Queens, um, we went through a 10-month uh, cross-cultural church planting and disciple-making training. And what is really special about this training is that you're not just sitting and learning in a classroom, uh, which you, it is part of that, but then you're actually implementing the things that you're learning. So from strategy to methodology, um, those are the big things that you're, you're, you're putting into place, all of these principles. Um, but also, too, what's really special about this training is that it's, it's training you up to have sustainability and longevity on the mission field. Because there, there's many reasons why people only make it past year two or three um, and then end up coming home. And, um, and so they're preparing you for the things that you're going to run into, the issues you're going to run into. Um, so that was very, very beneficial for us. Uh, some of the highlights that I just really want to share with you that we were able to experience in this training. Um, we were able to develop a ministry plan. We were placed on a team called the Bengali Muslim team where we had a specific unreached people group focus um, where the first few weeks we were spending a lot of our time learning about this people group. And what we, call, what we did was something called ethnography. So with ethnography, the best way to do that is actually engaging these people. Um, you're basically asking a lot of questions. You're coming in as a learner. You're saturating yourselves in their community. You're learning their worldview. Uh, we had learned that over 90,000 Bangladeshis were in New York City. So just to kind of give you an a, a insight into this, Bangladesh is one of the most unreached nations in the world. They're 0.3%, so a third of a percent is considered evangelical Christian. And right in New York City, there's over 90,000 Bengalis. Um, and so the nations, and that's just one specific people group. We have several others that are there. Um, you know, so we ate their foods. We were invited into their mosques. Um, we learned what it means to them to worship as a Muslim. Um, and I will be honest, uh, prior to going through this cross-cultural training, I sort of had this, this black and white approach to getting to the gospel. Now, what I mean by that is I just wanted to get right to the gospel. I, w I just wanted to see if people were, were spiritually receptive or open. Um, and that's not necessarily a wrong approach. Um, but God was really humbling and teaching me in, the, in this moment. Um, I had learned, and you've heard Pastor Bill say this many times, he said, 
Unreached people groups are hard to reach for a reason, and it is so true. Um, they are deeply, deeply ingrained in their culture. They're deeply ingrained in their identity as a Muslim. Um, and so in order to effectively reach Muslims, we must be willing to understand their worldview and how they view God. That is so, so crucial. Um, and so again, I had first, I had somewhat struggled with this because again, I just wanted to get right to the heart of the gospel just to see if people were spiritually receptive. I was also understanding that Muslims, they place high value on two, thi two things, community and honor. And if you did not know this, Muslims are some of the most hospitable people you'll ever meet. They will feed you. They will serve you. Relationships are so, so important to them, um, which also taught me that an effective way to actually reach these people with the gospel is through relationships. R through relationship comes trust. And, and a lot can be said for that even in our own communities, too. But specifically, their communities, that is a great way. Um, and if a Muslim has your trust... They're willing to hear about Jesus. They're willing to at least discover who Jesus is. And what we do is what Revolve Champions, the DBS, the Discovery Bible Study, it is used across the globe. And let me tell you, it is very, very effective. Um, so I'm just going to champion that so that you guys don't shy away from using it. Let me talk to you about some of the roadblocks, though, um, meaning the barriers we, run, we would definitely run into. Muslims do not take Christianity serious at all. Let me say that again. Many Muslims do not take Christianity serious at all. Um, they think that everyone in the West just labels themselves Christians. Um, so I've also had a Muslim man actually refer to how they view Christians as that TV show Friends, which is very sad. That's very sad that, that that's, they have, have a view of that. I want to share an interaction with you that I will never forget. Um, I was in a Bengali, uh, Bengali restaurant drinking chai with a, with a teammate, and a Muslim overheard us talking uh, about Jesus. And basically, he just wanted to debate us right away. That's very common in their culture. Um, he's, they weren't being super confrontational, but that's just kind of how they go about things. And we told him we weren't there to debate, but he just wanted to continue to get his point across. And then he said something I won't ever forget. He said, let me tell you why I would never be a Christian. He said, your people don't hold to strong morals. You're drunkards. Your women dress very sexual like the rest of the world. Um, and several thoughts were running through my head as he was saying this, because first of all, I was thinking this man's mindset is very pharisaical. But the big point that God was really pointing out to me is this man has never met a follower of Jesus. And so as I was beginning to think, I was thinking, man, I want this man to know that followers of Jesus are devoted to the Lord, that we are people of repentance. We're, we're people committed to prayer, to loving and serving our neighbors. Um, but in his mind, this is the viewpoint he had. He, he's thinking, well, I pray five times a day. Christians don't. Uh, Muslims don't drink alcohol. Christians do. And so in his mind, he thinks if they do all the right things, then they're just more clean and righteous. Um, notice it really doesn't have much to do with about Jesus being Lord or not. It, it's more about just behavior modification. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Because with the Muslim, Islam religion, you see that it's a more surface 
It doesn't cut to the heart where the gospel is cutting to the heart. And so it was at that moment that I was realizing and having this moment where I was like, if I'm going to make an effort into reaching Muslims, I need to be close enough to them in order to, for them to know that there is something different about me. Um, and I want to be clear, this isn't the only way that we engage Muslims. I, many of you guys know I'm an evangelist at heart. I love to get right to the gospel. I love to approach strangers and get into spiritual discussion. Um, but with relationship comes trust. And so that has been a huge, huge teaching moment for us. Um, it's interesting, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verses 18 through 19, it says this. It says, God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, give, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And then if you jump to Psalm 107, verses 4 through 6, it says, Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. And so we see all throughout Scripture that God is migrating people for his purposes and for people to come and know him. And we have seen this all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, but we're also seeing this today. And I don't say that lightly when I had mentioned this to you before, that God is truly bringing the nations here um, in many, many cities in the United States. And, so, and we also see in these passages that God has a heart for those who are vulnerable in our midst. In New York City, there's over one million Muslims just in New York City. That's not including Hindus or Tibetans and Buddhists. Um, and so many of these people are coming from the 1040 window, meaning they're in some of the most hardest to reach places. And there's very, very few believers there. And so God, through his sovereignty, has brought the nations to us. And so we see again that these people are in a position of migration. And right now, God is using migration to cause people to become spiritually receptive to hearing and being ready to receive the gospel. And so I want to be clear on this. Um, loving the foreigner is not just something we are called to do, only if it agrees with our political uh, position. Loving the foreigner is something we are called to do because we are followers of Jesus. Um, it is very clear. It is evident throughout Scripture. And if God's heart is called to call the nations to himself, um, then he tells us and commands us to love the foreigner. And so the way that that's going to happen is if they actually experience the love of Christ through us. And so that has been a huge, huge teaching moment for our family. And so one of the ways God has really been structuring our family's prayer is just asking the Lord, God, would you help me see people the way you see people? Would you help me love people the way you love people? Because if I'm honest with you, there's many times where I'm living among these people in the city and they really don't want much to do with, have, want to have anything to do with you. Some of them are hospitals, hospitable, some of them are nice, but they stick to their own, their own people group for the most part. And so really crying out, asking the Lord to do a work in our hearts, to love these people the way God loves them. 
And so um, going into this 10-month training program that we went through, this 10-month training program, we knew that living in Jackson Heights would only be a temporary thing. Um, because once Equip was over, we would actually be starting uh, a new team in a new area. And while praying and speaking with leadership um, and actually going and visiting different places, God was making it so, so clear, leading us to a particular uh, borough in, in Queens called Astoria. And in Astoria, um, there are close to 60,000 Muslim Arabs. From a, it's, I want you to picture basically the northern horn of Africa. So you have Egyptians, Moroccans, Algerians, Tunisians, um, but then also, those are the primary people groups, but then you have some Palestinian and Iraqi and Bosnians. Um, there are over 13 mosques within a three-mile span from our apartment. 13 mosques within a three-mile span of our apartment. And so they are literally right in front of us. Um, we were recently, we recently multiplied and were sent out by our previous house church, uh, which we are very excited about to start a new one in Astoria. Um, but we also started a new ministry team in Astoria. So church is different than ministry team. Um, and it's, so it's pretty normal for most teams within the organization that we're with through International Project to consist of, of about three to five units. Now, when I say unit, I mean, what I mean by that is that could either be one individual or that could be an entire family. Um, so, so three to five units. And the point is, is you want to have a small team with a very specific focus. A small team with a very specific focus. And so which leads us into the vision. What are we doing? What are we working towards? And so our vision with our team within a story is this. We are committed to, church pl to plant churches among diaspora with a special intentionality of pursuing unreached people groups. Let me break that down for you because there's a couple terms in there that might be hard to understand. Diaspora is basically very simple. It's the dispersion of any people from their original homeland. So in Astoria, there's over 100 nations represented where we live. Um, but the primary focus is Muslim Arab. Um, those are the people that we have a burning passion for because the reality is, is they will probably go through their entire life never hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, but also what we see in a story is that there's 30,000 Greek Orthodox. Now, Greek Orthodox, you might be like, oh, well, they're, they're going to their daily mass. Let me tell you, I have met many that have no understanding of the gospel. Um, it, it's more just about good morals and going to a Sunday mass. Um, and so we really, we have such a, a diverse amount of people where we live, but those, uh, Muslim Arab is definitely our primary target. So what does ministry look like for us? So some of you may know this, at the end of our time in Equip, um, we, uh, leadership within an international project had approached us and asked Elena and I to take lead over being the director of summer internships. So basically it's college students going through a two-month evangelism and church planting training for college students. Um, it offers them to live and serve among unreached people groups in Queens. Uh, we focus on three specific areas. So it's spiritual formation, bold evangelism, and servanthood. And so when it comes to servanthood or, or spiritual formation, 
It's as simple as uh, teaching them how to, how to be fasting, prayer, scripture memorization. But then we also fold them into our house church. And then we also, they also get to see other expressions of church. Um, we have them reading unre- uh, books about engaging unreached people groups and Muslim Arabs. When it comes to bold evangelism, we spend a lot of time w- with them out in the harvest on how to have spiritual conversations, teaching different worldviews on what they're going to encounter, knowing how to effectively share the gospel among different people, how to do a discovery Bible study, and ultimately how to lead seekers to become followers of Jesus. And then finally, servanthood is basically um, every summer, multiple people join that program that Elena and I just went through, Equip. It's a 10-month training program. So they're basically moving into the city. So we're there to serve them. We're there to help move them into the city. So we were sweating like crazy uh, when we were moving multiple families in this past summer. Last but not least, though, um, uh, four weeks out of their internship, these interns are helped serving alongside me during seed weeks. So this is another responsibility that, w- um, that we have taken on that I know you guys are aware of because Revolve had sent um, a team to for seed week. Um, it, we basically, we took on this new role to lead seed weeks um, and it has, uh, many of you guys know this, it has made such an impact on Elena and I uh, when we had first attended these weeks because it's ultimately what compelled us to be in the city because it, we really got to see what the, the nations were there and what God was doing among these nations. And so it's just been, we are so overwhelmed and just so uh, grateful for these ministry opportunities. Um, I want to share a specific testimony with you during Seed Week. Um, one that is really, it's pretty amazing. So long story short, a couple weeks ago, uh, one of our interns and a Seed Week participant, they had engaged a female Muslim teenager. And 99.9% of the time when you engage a, uh, a female Muslim teenager, she won't even look at you, she won't even talk to you. Um, but as our intern had prayed for this girl, um, and shared the gospel, her, you could tell she was visibly just being moved. And she said, I actually believe that Jesus wants me to know him. Now, let me tell you, no Muslim will, not many Muslims will tell you that. That's, there's a lot to be said for that. But then she went on to say this. She said, I actually have a friend who's a believer from Bangladesh that's been reading the Bible with me in secret, and I want you to come meet him. And they were like, uh, okay. <laughs> um, so they end up meeting that night. And as they're meeting this girl's friend, who's a believer from Bangladesh, he is going on and sharing the Great Commission, how he has a heart to reach his own people. Um, this boy is only 17 years old. He is only 17 years old, and he's reading the Bible with a Muslim in secret. And you might be asking, well, it's New York City. Why are they doing it in secret? Because the reality is this. If her family were to find out, which ended up happening, her family found out her father abused her, um, threw away and ripped up the Bible, threw it in the trash, and basically threatened her saying this. 
if I ever catch you reading that again, you will be sent back to Bangladesh with the rest of your family. Um, so as I'm talking with this man, because he wanted to meet up with me, we end up meeting and he's sharing how he's been reading the Bible with this girl the past year. As he's sharing that story with me, how his friend was basically abused by her father and all of that, he, he was talking to me as if it were no big deal. And so then what does he do? He then gets a school book that as if you were reading something in school. And what is he, he does, he incorporates the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts in this school book and gives it to her. This is a 17-year-old believer from Bangladesh. And I'm sitting there in amazement and I'm in tears. I'm in tears because I'm in awe, number one. And I can't believe how did this young man know how to do this? But also, too, thank you, God, that you have given me this opportunity. Thank you, God, that you have given me this opportunity to come alongside a believer from an unreached people group that's right here in the city that's actually doing the work that we're trying to do. And so we've actually have been praying that God would lead us to somebody like this. And so they, these past three to four weeks, I've been meeting with him every week. And he's been telling me, he's been saying, Christian, I have been praying that God would lead me to somebody that would disciple me. Um, he said he's been watching YouTube videos. If anybody is familiar with the name Nabil Qureshi, Nabil Qureshi is the man that wrote a book name, uh, or called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. That's what this young guy, he's like a Nabil Qureshi Jr., he, he's very intelligent, but he is on fire for the Lord, and he has such a heart to reach his own people. And guess what? He's going to do a much better job than me. He's going to do a much better job reaching his own people than I will. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to champion him, I'm going to coach him, and I'm going to disciple him to do what he's doing. Um, and so I'm just, I'm so thankful that the Lord has given us that opportunity. Um, so that's just one te uh, testimony from Seed Weeks. As you guys know, Jen Worthington, she had a wonderful testimony when Revolve's team came out. She pursued this Bengali Muslim lady, and she was very persistent. She was so persistent as she was engaging this woman um, that eventually the woman was saying, yes, like, I do want to read the Bible. And she said, I've been having so many questions about what I believe. And what ended up happening was Jen then brought in a long-term worker from International Project, her name's Anna, who actually focuses and works with Bengali Muslims. And so since Jen has left, Anna has met with this woman and read the Bible with her three to four times already. And this woman's husband actually asked his wife, so are you going to become a follower of Jesus? And this is a Muslim. Um, and I don't know how devout they are. I haven't even got to meet them, so I'm just kind of hearing these stories as they're, sh they're sharing with me. But again, this is all because people are going out in boldness. People are going out equipped with the gospel. They're praying for people, and they're sharing the gospel. And look at what God is doing. He's leading people to, to those who are spiritually open. And so it has just been, it has been such a joy to see. My paper just flew away. Um, 
So what else do we do outside of, of Seed Weeks and summer internships? A lot of it, you've actually been taught in the hub. It is, it's daily missional rhythms, prayer walking, uh, going outside of mosques and praying, and eventually they're, they're inviting you in, which then opens up opportunity to read, uh, uh, to share your faith and things like that. Um, also, too, we're, we're making intentional relationships with people within our community, specifically with Arab Muslims. So we have, you know, each individual has uh, specific targets within Astoria that we're regularly hitting, people that are uh, open to receiving us. Um, whether it's a restaurant, a bodega where you're drinking chai, or a local playground. Um, and so, again, these are where we are generating relationships and making spiritual statements, or as Bill and Dave would say, Shema statements. And you're seeing if people are receptive to what we're talking about. And if they are, you continue to pursue those areas. While we're out, we are looking for what we call a person of peace. And so what is a person of peace? A person of peace is not someone who is just spiritually interested. It's actually someone who will actually welcome you into their oikos, or in other words, their community or family, knowing that you have a spiritual message to share with them. And so uh, also a person of peace is, not, is someone who actually receives the, the message, receives the messenger, but also receives the mission. And so what I mean by that is there's several, several examples of that throughout Scripture. Think of uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, where Jesus asked this woman for water, and she provides hospitality to him. We also see that this woman hears the gospel, who Jesus says he is. He says that I am the true living water. And then we also see at the end, what does she do? She receives the mission she immediately left her jars and went to the town to tell everybody else her encounter with Jesus. And as a result, many came to Jesus. So this woman, is, this woman at the well is what we call a person of peace. And we actually see several examples through, throughout Scripture, too. Think of Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, the demoniac, where he's healed by Jesus and after he's healed by Jesus, he tries to get in the boat. And then when he tries to get in the boat, Jesus says, no, I actually want you to go and tell people your testimony. This man had no training. This man did not go through seminary. This man had a testimony. And he went and shared it with people. Think of the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16, where the jailer invites Paul and Silas to their home. He, they, they wash their wounds. But this jailer and his entire household put their faith in Jesus and are baptized that night, and they are filled with joy. And so let me just tell you, that is what we are praying for, that God would lead us to those families, to those persons of peace, to those houses of peace. I know when Pastor Bill and a team uh, would go to Indonesia, those would be some of the places that they would, are some of the things they would be looking for. Um, a big part of how our team functions, too, is networking with existing believers. It is foolish to think that we would be able to engage and reach um, all of Queens or all of Astoria with just a few of us. 
And so what we want to do is we want to find people that are already in the area that have a heartbeat for the Great Commission. And they may do strategy very differently than us, but we want to be able to work alongside one another. Um, we want to be able to come together in prayer. And so I've connected with, um, with a pastor in Astoria that's been there for 20 years. I've connected with a former NBA star that was a former Muslim who just started a ministry. Um, and so we have great, great networking opportunities that we're, do, that we're participating in weekly. Um, and so, again, it may be different strategies. It may be different methodologies. It doesn't matter as long as we're coming together to be more of an effective witness of the gospel. That's what our heartbeat is for. I'm going to conclude our time here. Um, I wanted to share with you one last testimony. Um, and this is, uh, I didn't get to play a part in this, but I have a friend that leads a team in Brooklyn, um, in Bay Ridge. And he's been reading the Bible with a Muslim, a man from Egypt, uh, in the past month or so. And during one of their most recent meetings, they, this Muslim man had been really wrestling with the idea that God is love and that God is just. And he kept saying to my friend, he said, man, I just don't know if I can, if I can get past this. Because in his worldview and what his imam has told him and being a Muslim is that, well, Jesus is not God. And if Jesus is so perfect and holy, what's the point of even crushing his son and being pierced for our transgressions? So he's just running into all these barriers. And so my friend is realizing very quickly, you know what? I can't force this. I can't force or convince him. And so he, he concluded their time and he said, listen, let's just pray. Let's just pray and then we'll come back together um, in a, next week or the next day or two. So as they finish their time praying, God basically, or as they're praying, my friend basically prays saying, God, would you reveal yourself to Ali? Would you reveal yourself to this man? And little did he know, an hour later, my friend receives a text message uh, from, this, from this Egyptian Arab, and he says this, he said, he said, brother, I had something very crazy happen that I need to share with you right now. He said, when you left me, a very strange thing happened. An old woman caved, came to me and gave me a booklet. She said, Jesus loves you. I looked at the booklet and what was written at the very top. God is love and God is just. The thing that he was wrestling with when he was reading the Bible with a believer literally 45 minutes ago. And he said, what do you call this? Is this a sign? I'm astonished. I, I can't stop thinking about this. And so this man is very, very close to following Jesus, but he's still working through a lot of cultural barriers. But this is a beautiful example of how God uses all things for his glory. A random woman hands this man a Bible tract and says, Jesus, love you. Little does she know that this man was actually reading the Bible for himself uh, with, with another believer. This woman, guess what, will never see the fruit. She may never get to see the fruit of her labor. But God is so good, and he uses all things to reach all people. 
And so I want to encourage you with that, is that you are called to be faithful and obedient. The results are not up to you. Some plant the seed, some water it, some experience the fruit, right? If you could open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9 says this. It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. And so, guys, the point is this, is God is going to use all things to reach all people. It doesn't matter how perfect we think our methodology is. It doesn't matter how perfect we think our strategy is going to be to reach people. If God wants to reach that person, he's going to do it. And it's going to be within his will. And so be encouraged by that. God, I guarantee you, God is going to use everybody in this room in so many different ways, whether it's through where you live, where you work, where you play. Now, what I'm not saying, I don't want to get yelled at by leadership here, but what I'm not saying is it, it is very important to use, uh, to use, have strategy, to have methodology. The Discovery Bible study works, and it's very effective, so I want to be clear on that. Um, so a lot has happened this past year um, that, you know, if you guys have been up to date with our updates that we send out every month, also uh, our group me and private Facebook group and all of that, um, we feel like, honestly, we are just getting started and that God really is preparing a harvest for us in Astoria uh, among the nations that are living among us. Um, and so we are excited to, to just continue laboring and keep our hand to the plow. Now, with that being said, um, I would love to just tell you that it's all been sunshine and roses. Um, while this has been a very fruitful and exciting season for our family and ministry, um, the past few months, we have definitely experienced some of the hardest uh, spiritual warfare um, that we've ever had. Um, and I'm not going to go into any crazy detail, but we would just ask that you guys continue to cover us in prayer. Um, God has, I will say this, God has given us such a peace to know where he's placed us um, and that we are walking within his will. But if I'm honest, there's some days that are very hard and it's very challenging. Like being here, uh, being here, seeing so many familiar faces or when we had the Seed Week team and they got to come to our house and love on our kids, when they left, we were bawling our eyes out because it's like it, it gave us a taste of home. But then all of a sudden it was gone in an instant. Um, and so just please keep us in prayer. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Uh, we are so thankful for your support. I really want to thank specifically the uh, Revolve, all of you here, the elders here, um, for your faithful generosity for us to do what we do. Um, and labor together to reach the nations. Um, we are so grateful for the faithfulness here of the leadership. Um, ever since I've met Bill and Gina, it has always been God's name to be glorified among all people and all nations. And so, um, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I, I feel like I could go on and on and on, but we're just super grateful. I'd love to just close our time um, in praying 
for God's name to be glorified um, among here in Cape May County, in New York City, and to the ends of the earth. So let's pray. Father, we just, we rejoice and thank you that you have wired each one of us here in this room so differently, that you have put people in our lives that only we may be able to reach. There may be people in my life that this person may not be, that may not be able to reach. There may be a person in this person's life that I'm not going to be able to reach, but the reality is, is you have put that specific person in their lives for a specific reason. I think of where Jesus just called his first people to follow him. What was the thing he first said to them? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God, would we see ourselves as that, as ambassadors for you, fishers of men, this mission that you have called us to be a part of. Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified among all people here, among all people from right here at Two Mile on, the, on their boats, all over across the Wildwood Boardwalk, Cape May County, to the ends of the earth. And I pray that you continue to use Revolve in such great and mighty ways for your glory and your glory alone. And so we worship and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.